Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be episode number 166 with Chris Rowe, and this is going to be the second part of the Real Elk Sound series, and I'm excited to share this with you. Before we get to that, I want to tell you a couple things that are going on here at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, we've got a really cool promotion from my title sponsor, GoHunt.com Insider, and it is a 30-day free trial exclusive for the J. Scott Podcast listeners. This is your chance. You guys have been hearing uh, from me, those of you who ha- have not signed up for the GoHunt Insider, uh, you're going to get a, three, a, excuse me, a free 30-day uh, trial to try out GoHunt.com uh, Insider. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott, click on the blue free trial button, and go through the steps. It only takes a couple minutes. You're going to be required to give your credit card, but your credit card will not be charged until after the free 30 days. You can cancel it any time within that first 30 days to prevent being charged. If you guys have any questions at all, you can email freetrial at gohunt.com and someone from the gohunt.com insider team will promptly respond. Uh, Guys, so this is your chance, uh, if you're not already an insider member, to go on and see what uh, all of the buzz has been about. You can check out the filtering 2.0 system. Uh, You can go on and and look at the whole resource and uh, check it out for yourselves. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship uh, of this podcast. They've been a great team to work with, and I look forward to the future. Uh, I also want to bring you up to date. Uh, today was the deadline for the Arizona Big Game Super Raffle. Uh, I believe you have till 10 o'clock tonight, that's July the 10th, to uh, buy your raffle tickets. And uh, make sure you get those raffle tickets for deer and mule deer, coos deer, elk, bighorn sheep, turkey, bear, uh, mountain lion, javelina. I'm sure I missed a few, but anyway, uh, make sure to get your tickets. You can go to ArizonaBigGameSuperRaffle.com and uh, check that out. Also, uh, one of the sponsors of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, uh, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazines, uh, they are going to announce the winner on July 15th, so there's still time to enter uh, into the Western Hunter uh, $1,500 Swarovski uh, giveaway through the Outdoorsman's. So all you do is go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott, enter your email address, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product through the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix. I'd like to thank all my sponsors of this podcast. Like I said, Go Hunt Insider, uh, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazines, Wilderness Athlete, Utah Hydrographics, and Phonescope. Uh, all of these um, sponsors, if you uh, call them on the phone or if you go to their websites and use the J. Scott promo code, uh, you get a 10% discount at Phonescope, uh, Utah Hydrographics, uh, and Wilderness Athlete, and then all the Outdoorsman's products, if you use the J. Scott uh, excuse me, just the J. Scott promo code, 
uh, you get a 10% off on all Outdoorsman's, all products there at the Outdoorsman. So great opportunities. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for all your support with this podcast. Uh, it's uh, overwhelming support. Uh, please keep, continue to send your email questions. I'm going to be doing a series of uh, podcasts answering all your questions. Uh, also, tune in to my uh, new website. Uh, it's almost completed. Uh, but you can go on there at jscottoutdoors.com. And from there, that's kind of the central hub. You can uh, link out to the podcast, to the YouTube channel, to Instagram, uh, to the J. Scott Outdoors Facebook page. And uh, it's uh, uh, Craig Steele with uh, CS Creativity has been doing a, a great job with that website. And I just wanted to remind you that it's uh, almost finished. You can go check it out. And uh, also, uh, we've kind of uh, reinvented uh, or uh, reinvigorated uh, the J. Scott Outdoors business page. My uh, personal Facebook page uh, w- was filled up with, the, I believe, the 5,000 uh, followers or uh, whatever Facebook calls them, I guess, followers or likes. Um, and so the J. Scott Outdoors business page has been around for a while, but I haven't been using it. Um, for about the last 10 days, uh, I've been putting, posting new content, new videos, uh, and updating my podcast, uh, episodes on there. So if you're on Facebook, please go to J Scott outdoors, uh, my, my business page and give us a like and, um, you'll be able to follow along and, and all the new content and stuff with the podcast and all of our hunts and, uh, my, my beaver elk hunt uh, coming up in Utah. Uh, everything will be posted there. I appreciate all the comments on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all the emails. Uh, just uh, thank you guys for so much of your support. And let's get right to this episode here with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Okay, Jason. Jack, what time is it? Bull killing time! What time is it? Bull killing time! I didn't hear you the first two times. What time it's is it? Bull killing time till the sun goes down! Awesome. Alright, let's go! <laughs> Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Mr. Chris Rowe with us from Rowe Hunting Resources. And I believe we released uh, Real Elk Sounds 1, episode 161, and it's already been a great success. I've gotten a lot of feedback from it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, you need to go back and download and listen to that episode. There's about a five and a half minute clip there of some really uh, close cows that are making lost mews and assembly mews and... uh, you know, they get more in, excited, they get put more inflection. Uh, you can just tell there's so many different vocalizations in that clip. And I've already gotten feedback of, of how much uh, value guys are getting out of getting to hear uh, the, the real elk themselves. And, and of course, Chris's commentary uh, on those different sounds. Make sure to check that out. Um, Chris, how are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you guys been? Oh, pretty good. I just, um, my wife and I woke up this morning and hiked up to Cathedral Lake up here above Aspen, and uh, it was awesome. We started, I want to say it was at uh, 8,900 feet, uh, 
um, where we started, and it, it, the the uh, lake, Cathedral Lake, I believe, is at eight uh, eleven thousand nine hundred feet, and uh, gained right at two thousand feet uh, of elevation. Uh, I think it was six miles, right at six miles round trip. Um, but uh, going up, definitely felt the altitude, which is great because I'm getting ready for my Beaver uh, Utah elk hunt, and there's some similar elevation there, and um, so it, it was definitely a training day that was uh, picked up the pace a little bit as far as uh, starting at a much higher elevation, and I could dang sure feel it. I've been doing a lot of hiking here sometimes twice a day here at, you know, 6,500, 7,000 feet, and you kick it on up to, you know, 9, 10, 11, and even almost up to 12,000 feet, you definitely feel the air a little thinner up there. So uh, we just got back, and it's good to have you on today. Uh, today we're going to have a clip. Uh, this is kind of our part two Real Elk Sounds of, of, of the Real Elk Sound series, and I thought it was important uh, to have have a clip like this where uh, we've got quite a bit of bugling and uh, most of the bugling is uh, coming from one bull. Uh, let me set this uh, vocalization, this uh, scenario up a little bit. Um, Dar Colburn, my guiding and hunting partner, was uh, guiding a guy named Jeff Hartland. And this is uh, in Arizona on public land. And... Um, they, it was about the 20th or 21st of September. It was getting kind of towards the end of the uh, archery season there. Uh, and the bulls were really getting fired up. And Dar and Jeff had hiked into an area uh, before light and heard this one particular bull, which we're going to hear in this clip. Um, and, it, you know, when you hear a bull like this, a lot of times a bull with this much, you know, guttural and this much just, you know, deep sound, it's always, you know, I definitely love checking out those, those bulls that have a lot of volume, uh, and that have that deep bugle. Um, although, you know, we've talked about it before, you can't ever judge a bull by his bugle, but it seems like I just gravitate towards those older, you know, more hoarse sounding bugles. Um, and we've all been on this situation where you think you're on a giant and you get up there and it's a five point that's just, you know, growling his head off and, you know, sounds hoarse. And, um, this particular bull, uh, is a six by seven. Um, he's probably in the 335, 340, maybe a smidge better class. Um, but he just is, is ripping it up on this one open ridge. And I think it's going to be, um, you know, awesome to dissect this clip with you and first what I want to do is I want to play this clip in its entirety so the very first thing we're going to do right here is we're going to run this whole clip and I encourage you guys that are listening uh, to put your headphones on and listen to this with headphones so that you can hear all the little intricate sounds with the bulls in the distance bugling and what have you then Chris and I, once the, the clip is played in full, we're going to come back and uh, we're going to dissect the clip and uh, hopefully provide some value on on uh, these real elk sounds. So you ready for that, Chris? Oh, yeah. One thing I want to point out is uh, uh, this is public land. Uh, this is Dark Colburn. This is my friend, my hunting partner, and, uh, uh, you know, this this the live video of this clip will be featured on uh, the elk module 
uh, row hunting resources. Uh, if, if you guys haven't checked out Chris's uh, elk module, uh, it's a phenomenal resource and uh, definitely for any elk hunter, uh, something you, you, you must uh, check out and be a part of the gallery that he has and all of the video and all of the, the uh, strategy strategies in action where Chris sets up, okay, here's the deal. Here's how I'm going to approach this. Um, you know, it's just super valuable. So I just encourage the listeners to check uh, Chris out. And at the end of this podcast, uh, he'll tell you how to um, fully, fully check it out if you haven't already. So let's run the full clip. And then Chris, you and I will come back. Mmm. 
Okay, Chris, uh, now that everybody's got to hear the live clip, let's, uh, let's play the clip and let's go through it. And before we do that, um, I, I want to point a couple things out here. Um, your background is in studying animal behavior, correct? Yeah, wildlife biology, but a definite strong focus in behavioral ecology and communication. Okay, and another thing is... Um, I, I wanted you on this podcast uh, to do this uh, Real Elks uh, series um, because uh, most all of your hunting has been on private land. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, private land owned by the federal government. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so most of your cutting your teeth on studying animal behavior and studying um, elk in their natural environment, most of your uh, experience has been on public land, correct? Pretty much all, yeah, pretty much all of it. I have had a chance to hunt uh, one chunk of private property, and th this could be a discussion for a later time because, I mean, it is a great lesson, but I mean, in short, I had an 1,800-acre ranch elk property that was 
next door to a, a 30,000 acre ranch. It was highly managed for elk that literally the, the, the guy, the outfitter, the, the lessee said, Chris, it's the first year we've had this for archery season. I'm giving you 1,800 acres. I want you to learn it. and I want you to tell me everything there is about it for archery season. And I had the entire archery season to myself on 1,800 acres. And it was the most difficult hunt I've ever been on, and I did not kill an elk. So we could talk about that another time. But yeah, that's the only time I've ever hunted private land for elk. Everything else has been on uh, public ground, and most and seriously, ninety nine percent of the time, it's over the counter units with a lot of other hunters out there. I I mean, I started out just like everybody else uh, when I was in college, and when I was first starting to work. Uh, I had a four day weekend and that's what I had and I had to learn to get her done. And so, yeah, that's where it all kind of started. And once I started kind of playing, you know, when I started getting into my biology field, I worked on some elk research projects, started to get a better handle of what their communication and behavior and, and all that was. And when I started incorporating that into what I was doing with my hunting, that's when things started to click and I just got engrossed in it. And I, that's where I've just gone from there. So, yeah. And the reason I bring that up is um, I think it's important, uh, you know, the, the, the loyal listeners that I have here at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, uh, they've gotten to know me over the years. And, um, you know, I, I come from a background of, you know, I've taken 20 years in a row, taking the entire month of September off, literally all 30 days. Uh, the, la the last 20 years, it's been nothing but uh, chasing elk and listening and studying elk myself, hunting elk, videoing elk. Uh, and one of the things in uh, Arizona uh, where I've done most of my elk hunting, uh, yeah, it's elk Disneyland, but one of the fortunes that I've had is been a, I have been able to hear and be around a lot of elk and experience a lot of their behavior and listen to a lot of elk bugle uh, listen to a lot of elk interact uh, with each other, and I know you have as well. But um, you know, for for anybody out there that thinks, oh, Jay just hunts public, you know, private land. Jay just hunts reservations. Well, I have hunted reservations, and I would say that you know, in in a thirty day season, I've probably heard, you know more elk than somebody that's maybe hunted 20 years on on public land uh so that shouldn't disqualify me in my opinion from uh not knowing elk sounds i think that should actually overqualify me uh and i i only bring that up just to make a point uh everybody comes from a different background everybody hunts different states everybody hunts different areas and I think one of the big values that you bring, Chris, is your understanding of these animals. And all we're trying to do here at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, my only focus is to, to help people learn and understand and get better, period. I, I don't care if I have someone that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't relate, so to speak, to the listener. As long as the listener can learn and as long as I can learn, that's what we're doing. And uh, I found over the years that I can learn from anyone. I can learn from someone that's hunted something one year and I've hunted it for, you know, 25 years. There's always something that you can pick up uh, if you just listen, if you have an open mind, and if, if you're willing to, you know, 
put yourself out there and 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 really take it in and digest it and not everybody's going to have the same ideas on a lot of things uh particularly you know elk sounds uh you know whether you call it one thing and someone calls it another i don't care about all that all i want is the listener to be able to take information that they hear on this podcast and interpret it when it's happening in the field and be able to make a play that's going to make them better than they were the day before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I apologize. I'm, I'm laughing here because I know that I know what we've talked about before. And, and when Jay, when, when folks, li- well, obviously you just listen to that, the clip and I laugh because we're, we are going to by just default when Jay sent me this clip and said, I want to talk about this. I just, I groaned. I was like, "Oh goodness!" Because here we go. We're we're definitely going to get in the realm of some controversial. Uh, well, basically, just different philosophy. It is. It's. It's. it's, it's I mean, it's a fundamental yeah. different philosophy and way of thinking. For as far as I'm, for for me, if, for people that value what I value, it is a different layer of of a different level of philosophy. And, and you know, you hit on it. You know, yes, you've had the chance to hunt some pretty phenomenal places. I have been blessed to hunt all sorts of, you know, from a couple places in Wyoming, all over Colorado, a couple places in New Mexico, a couple places in Arizona. I've been, I've, I've seen, I've had a chance to see a wide variety of places where there are elk, all the way from large private properties and national parks, all the way down to the most raped and pillaged public ground than you can imagine. And well, and even places in Washington, coastal Washington, and you know, elk or elk. Uh, Yeah, as As my buddy Casey Brooks says, elk or elk, they are what they are. Yeah, you know, they're going to act. Sometimes they act a little bit differently because of you know human interaction, but elk or elk. Yeah, or their or their habitat. Absolutely, and and it really is dependent upon you know hunting pressure, their habitat that they're in. The, the, and I talk about this on the elk module, the sex ratio that you've got, the, the uh, age class ratio that you've got. I mean, all these things come into play on how elk manifest their behavior from a visible or audible standpoint of, from us as hunters, whether we see it or hear it or whatever. You know, but elk are elk. You can take a coastal Roosevelt elk, a coastal Californian Thule put it in with a bull from Arizona and then a bull from Southern Wyoming, you could put them in a pen full of cows and they will all know how to handle those cows. They will all know how to handle each other. All their behavioral clues are going to be absolutely the same. I truly believe are going to be absolutely the same. You might have different inflections of their voice, but the that they're going to know how to communicate because their communication is the same. Um, but where the controversy and I, and I do, I apologize. I laugh because I get beat up all the, I mean, I don't get beat up, but people criticize. Um, I did, uh, on our YouTube channel, if you look at it, you know, there's a YouTube video on our YouTube channel and I put it out there last year is it, does it really matter? Do you really need to know what you are saying? Um, you just got done with a, series with uh jason phelps so i which was an awesome i thought that was an awesome interview you had with with jason phelps with phelps game calls and right there even even he caught he's like you know i don't get into you know what the elk are saying or why they're saying it blah blah blah. i just go you know 
you will hear that qualification because some of this gets so controversial. Well, we can talk about, I think we're going to have to when we get into this. Um, let's, let's talk about my philosophy a little bit and, and kind of come from a perspective of, of kind of where I'm coming from when I talk about some of these things and, and when we're talking about the vocalizations or what they mean or whatever, we'll touch on kind of my grounding and, and where my, my foundation is on some of this stuff. But I know it's, it's probably a little different than what you're going to hear anywhere else, you know, and I'm not saying anybody else's stuff is wrong. Jay's not saying anybody else's stuff is wrong. It's just yeah. provide an alternative. If you want something different than what else is out there, then I think we've got an answer for you. But other than that, it's, it's an alternative. Learn from it, take what you want from it, discard what you don't want, and, and just be a better caller, be a better hunter, and put more animals on the ground. Well, I, I would say this, Chris. Um, you go out in the oak woods every day, and uh, you never learn anything, right? <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, exactly, well, exactly. Wait wait a minute. Do you, do you learn something every time you go out? I try to. I don't know if I will. So, so more more often than not lately, the older I get is just how I don't bounce anymore. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> how things don't bounce back. Or yeah. muscles get sore. But yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if you're going out in the woods and open eyes, open ears, open mind, and just soak it in, even if it's a tiny little tidbit here or there, I, I really do. I try to pick up something new every time. Even if it's not something new, it's something that either confirms what I've already done or disproves what I've already done. And I think that's something we'll touch on here in a minute, too. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. It's all trial and error. Um, as much as we want to be elk ourselves and be able to you know, say, yeah, I'm an elk 30 days out of the year. I'm an elk and I sound just like one and I know what elk think. All of us are always learning. And, and I think, um, you know, there's there's many ways to skin a cat and there's many different ways to describe skinning that cat and everybody's got their own opinion and I think that's what's what's great and so I think you know um we're all elk hunters here uh we're all hunters we're all sportsmen uh we're all human beings and everybody has a different way of doing things and uh you know you and I could do this you know go on the same hunt with two totally different strategies and probably both be successful uh, you know, well, and, and but, but then there's times when, uh, you know, maybe over a long period of time, there's someone out there that their, their strategy seems to be successful year in and year out. Those are the guys I want to talk to. Uh, that's why I talking to you. That's why I had Jason Phelps on. That's why I've had a lot of the great guests that I've had on because dang, I don't know. I, I learn every day. The, the older I get, the less I know. I feel like, golly, I, you know, I should know more about this stuff than I already do. And all of my hunting has all been trial and error. I've literally made every mistake out there. I've, I've had bulls that, you know, are dead to rights and I blow, you know, squawk a call or say the wrong thing, or I'm calling a turkey and everything's going great. And I decide to pull something out and, you know, get cute on it and ha you know, so <laughs> I've made every mistake there is. Um, the reality is we're all elk hunters. Let's just div dig into this stuff and, you know, roll around in the dirt with it and come out on the other side, uh, you know, not saying Chris Rowe doesn't know what he's talking about or so-and-so doesn't know what he's talking about, saying, 
Yeah, he makes a couple pretty good points there. Uh, you know, maybe I completely disagree with you, Chris, on some things, but uh, that's the beauty of it. Let's talk about it. Let's let's try and get better. And you know, I love rolling around in the dirt. I was gonna say, let's dive in head first and hope it's deep enough we don't hit the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we? Why don't we dive into this clip uh, here and let's just pick it apart? All right. Now, we were talking uh, earlier, too. Let me just pause it real quick. Sorry, Jay. Um, like you mentioned in the beginning, there are some quiet spots. There's some what right now you may not be able to pick up uh, on some of the subtle sounds, but in these dead spots, sometimes there are other elk off in the distance that will vocalize that, that I think, you know, can be an important factor on understanding some of this. And, and we will have a discussion about that. So if you hear a dead spot in there, um, have patience. Listen, definitely, if you can listen with headphones, it'll be a lot better because I've got the volume turned up and you can always go back and refer to the first clip that Jay put in there because that's going to be the highest quality clip that's in there. And again, if you jump on the elk module, you'll be able to see the video and watch the behavior and everything. But have some patience. The the dead dead spots in there, there sometimes are things going on in there. So we'll let some of them roll so well and i think those dead spots also when you play it in real time give you you know sometimes i can edit up a clip where it's bulls bugling every five seconds well the real you know seven minute clip maybe the bull only bugles you know six times but that's how it is out in the woods those are real elk sounds so let's just play it and pick it apart okay so right there jeff is asking dar what do you think the bull is scoring? And at that point, the bull is kind of now into view and they've kind of snuck in on this bull and it's kind of in this open kind of burn area. And Dar's kind of telling him, I think 335, 340, not a shooter. You, and, and that's the thing that I think people have a hard time understanding. And, and I still do. I've been down in unit nine now, well, how many years? And I still. My heart's, I mean, this bull steps out of the timber and steps out kind of in the open and you're like, oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's impressive looking, but again, down there, yeah, most of the time a 330, 340 bull is not a shooter. Hold, shooter, hold out because there's probably something bigger. Yeah. And they ended up killing a 387 by seven. That's just a oh. awesome looking bull. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit play. <laughs> let's stop that right there chris so in the background you heard another bull bugle off in the distance um and this bull immediately jumped on top of that bull in your opinion is this bull responding to that other bull is it just a matter of circumstance that he was going to bugle too or is it is you know what is he trying to say in your opinion you've you've seen the uh, the uh, video what do you think this bull is trying to say to that bull in the distance all right if you don't mind then i think this is where we start the the i'm starting to jump on up and down on the diving board and ready to launch because um this a lot of people that are listening to this I know for a fact I've been in the I've been in the industry long enough to know that there's a lot of people that are listening to this and be like, oh man, that's an awesome challenge bugle. And then there's other people that are gonna be, oh man, that's an awesome display bugle. 
And then, oh, that, no, that's a perfect example of a bull calling cow's bugle. And so there's going to be all these, you know, the listeners in their mind probably have and all, you know, have already determined based off what they're hearing, you know, some classification of this vocalization based on what they've heard other people say. The problem is, and this is, this is where my philosophy starts to diverge from everybody else's. In my opinion, the problem is just that fact that you have three, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, three different quote-unquote classifications of what that bugle is and three different classifications of what that bugle is supposed to represent. And it's one vocal, it's, it's, the, it's one vocalization. So which one is right? Or are they all right? Or can they be all right? Or are none of them right? The problem, and, and this is where, again, this is, and I'm, I'm, I've got to try to figure out how I want to frame it because there's so much of an in-depth discussion on it. By all means, if, if for those that are my, the subscribers to it, they, they know this already because I have an entire series on bull vocalizations that dive into this. But in short... Unfortunately, I know that a lot of people spend the bulk of their time in the field in September or whatever, and they, they encounter an elk that, that, that vocalizes this way. And when they encountered a bull vocalizing in this particular way, uh, there were cows doing something in particular, or there was another bull nearby, and so those two bulls were doing something in particular, or this bull was off by himself and he was doing something in particular. And so they, I, they associated the vocalization with what they saw at that moment and then made a conclusion. They're like, okay, I saw this, therefore, and, and these other things were happening as well. So therefore, I think that this bull vocalizing this way means blah, X, Y, Z, whatever. All right. Now, the problem with just doing that and taking snapshots like that is someone else on a different ridge, on a different mountain, a different state, whatever, and in completely different conditions, completely different sex ratios, completely different age class structure, completely different habitat, whatever, hunting pressure, etc., sees the exact same thing and sees or hears the exact same thing and sees something different. Well, now here we go. We start going down this branching, this nebulous to where you you know, again, one vocalization is considered three different things. And so when we start to talk about them, you know, you say, oh, uh, you know, oh, he did a great challenge bugle. And that puts an idea in your mind. Well, if you, if you identify this as a bull calling cows bugle or a display bugle, you're like, well, wait a minute. Well, no, that's a, that's a display bugle. Well, no, because that, and here we go down, we argue back and forth, but we're arguing based off of the manifestation or, or the, the, the surface level um, interaction that we saw. And, and we, very few people, uh, very few, ever try to actually dissect it and, and rip it apart. And the one thing, and this I talk about in the glunks, and, you know, I've got a video on glunks, and, and, oh, and, and to be honest, my wife is a wildlife biologist as well. And it wasn't until we sat down and we were just going through hours and hours of video that, that she is the one that stumbled on it. And she's like, wait a minute, all the other stuff that everybody ever talked about glunks. No. What about this? And she, you know, she prevented or provided a hypothesis and we started 
going through the, the process of trying to, this is the important part, disprove it. And, and we couldn't. We, we really, I think, identified with glunks. The same thing with this. A lot of people will hear this and then they saw or remember the experience that they had and then they will try to bolster that experience. And every time they see an experience or hear see or hearable do it, they try to gather more evidence to prove themselves right. The problem with that is you can never prove yourself right. You can only disprove something, all right? So it's not until you sit and you watch elk from all over the country, you sit and watch elk from different parts of the season, different age classes, sex ratios, all the different aspects, and you sit there and you watch it in video, and you sit there and you watch the body language and the behavior of the animal that you can really start to boil down and get to the core fundamentals of what possibly could be going on. And so for me, I can tell you, you know, I listen to these bugles. You know, Jay, when you first sent this to me, you're like, oh, man, there's all sorts of bugling. And I kind of chuckled because I really, there is not all sorts of bugling. There's one, there's really one type of bugling. It, now, he bugles a lot, but he's doing the same thing. For me, I classify this as a dominant bugle, all right? I don't use the terminology challenge bugle or display bugle or bull calling cows bugle and that type of stuff because I can pick apart and disprove that analogy or that, that linkage, you know, correlation is not necessarily causation. Just because you saw something happen at one point does not mean it caused it. So I can take any of those classifications and rip them apart just with the video footage that I have in the elk module. The one thing I cannot rip apart is in all cases that bull is trying to portray his dominance. He is either expressing his actual dominance that he has proven on the battlefield by fighting or, or running off other bulls, or... He is trying to portray his dominance, and he's trying to give the impression that he is a dominant bull because, again, cows choose the bulls. Cows like to generally go towards more mature animals, more dominant animals, because those dominant bulls, those mature animals, or those mature bulls protect the cows, blah, blah, blah. We can get it all that. It's in the best interest of a bull to sound as, as mature and dominant as possible. It avoids fights. It attracts cows. It helps him hold cows helps him avoid other bulls, etc. So when you ask the question and you say, okay, what does this mean? You know, what, what is this bull doing? What does it mean to you? And did he respond to that other bull? As soon for me, and I know this for a lot of the other my the elk module subscribers, it but when, once you understand it that this when when they're trying to when they're vocalizing like this, Again, I, I classify it as a dominant bugle, and I will oftentimes separate it into three different levels. You know, a lower level, level one, a level two that's kind of medium, and a level three that's very, very intense. This I would classify, that, that vocalization, most of these vocalizations right there would be a level two dominant bugle. It's a bull trying to portray that he's dominant, and he's coming in at a medium intensity. All right? As soon as I know that, I understand what the bull is trying to achieve. And so when you ask me, you know, is he, and, and you, we talked about this before we started the podcast, you're like, oh yeah, every time that other bull out in the distance bugles, this one responds. 
Well, I would I would challenge that and say, okay, as we listen to this, is he actually responding to that other bowl? Or is he trying to well, I don't remember how I mean, how do we even put it? I mean, is he trying to uh, just essentially deflect the attention away from that other bull, okay? Almost like if a cow's standing there and it's like, oh, you didn't really hear that. I'm the one. That's right. It's it's don't listen to him, listen to me. No, I'm the more dominant individual. Because again, a bull wants to sound dominant. He wants to be the main attraction. He wants to be the most dominant, the most aggressive, the most mature so that way, if there's a cow standing, like you said, if there's a cow standing in between and she's looking left at one bull and she's looking right at another bull, which bull do I choose? She's got to she's got to go off of if she cannot see the bull. Again, I talk about this all the time: the see you first, hear you second, smell you third principle. If she cannot see him, the only thing that she can do is evaluate him from what she hears. So. Hence the reason why it's in the best interest of a bull to sound as big and mature and dominant as he can so that hopefully she chooses to go his way. And this is where a lot of people will just sit and listen to an audio clip without the video clip and they make decisions or make, make broad sweeping generalizations. When people get to see this video, and the, the, again, you and I talked about this ahead of time. When you see this video, it's clear. It's, it's absolutely clear that this bull is out there and he is trying, I mean, he's out, if he was a turkey, he'd be out there strutting, you know, strutting yeah. and drumming. He's walking back and forth. He's, he's tipping his rack back and he's, in essence, he's strutting back and forth. Yes. I mean, it, it typically, I mean, great, you know, low antler displays. Um, he's using that, that level two dominant bugle, trying to sound as dominant as he possibly can. But if you watch his head position, his ear position, his body position, you can clearly see he's not challenging anyone. He, his ears are forward. His head is up. His, his eyes are forward. He is seeking. He's curious. He's looking. He's, he's out there seeking. Can I see anybody? Can I see a cow around here? All right. So I classify this as a dominant bugle for those reasons. And in my opinion, I don't think he is actually responding, you know, like... As a, uh, I don't think it's a situation where the bull in the distance says, where are you? And this bull goes, I'm over here. And the other bull says, ah, oh, stay away from there. And he goes, ah, oh, no, I don't think, no, I don't think that that's the interaction. What I think, and you can sit there and you can watch that behave, the, the body language, it is all about, no, no, pay attention to me. I'm better. No, no, pay attention to me. I'm better. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you. Step out. Come here. Show you. Let me, let me show you. So you're not necessarily saying that he's saying, come over here, bull, and I'll whip you. He's more saying, uh, I'm I'm doing this because I want to appear big, bad, and tough because I want to breed cows and I want cows to come to me. So couldn't you technically argue that it is bull calling cows bugle? Yeah, yeah you, you could. The uh, And the only reason why I do not use that terminology is because... 
a dominant bugle is simultaneously two different things. It's attractive to cows, but it's also it's supposed to be a deterrent to other bulls. Other bulls don't necessarily want to be engaged with another bull, you know, physically. You know, yes, there are, we talk about it all the time, there are lovers and there's fighters. There are some bulls that are aggressive and they, they, they don't mind getting in a fight. I will argue that the vast majority are not that way. They do so much. If you, again, you watch behavior, they do so much ahead of time before they ever lock antlers to give one another visual clues that say, you don't want it. We don't want to go down this route. You know, that, you know, they're, they're going to tip the antlers back. They're going to have their ears back. They're going to bare their ivory teeth. They're going to hiss at one another. They're going to posture. They're going to display. Then they all of a sudden they start going parallel and back and forth and they might weave and parallel back and forth for a while. They'll do head fakes where they start dropping their antlers and they'll throw their antlers forward at one another, almost like they're, you know, basically, you know, trying to sword fight. You just, they throw the tops of their antlers towards one another. They'll start raking those antlers into the ground. They'll start tearing into trees. It's amazing the amount of stuff, visual clues, visual communication that they give one another all the way before they ever lock antlers, and it's all in an attempt to avoid the conflict. Now, yes, there are some bulls that just come charging in and, and they just charge in and, and want to go. I think that's more the exception than the rule. So this is simultaneously trying to be a deterrent to other bulls. So yeah, you could say, well, you know, it's a bull calling cows bugle. Well, in that case, then every dominant bugle that they do is typically that. You know what I mean? It's it's not a unique vocalization, really. I don't think. You know, when we're talking about a dominant bugle like this, and of course, there's you know, there's a difference between a dominant bugle and a contact bugle, or what I call contact bugle, what other people call a locate bugle, or whatever. But you know, one is making a statement, one is curious. This is clearly making a statement. This is. I am dominant, I am mature, I am a bull that cows should want to be with, so come to me if you're a cow, and if you're a bull, you don't want to mess with me, I'm bigger, I'm more mature, I'm more aggressive, I'm more dominant than you, so just stay away. So then what are the what are the bulls in the background that you hear bugling along with this bull? What are the bulls in the background? Are they more contact bugles? You know what, it's, it is hard to hear them clearly. But when I put the headphones on and I crank it up, I believe that the bulk of the other vocalizations as you're hearing are also dominant bugles. My guess is, and I, obviously I was not there, all I'm, all I'm going off of, so I will qualify, qualify this right now. All I'm going off of is what you described to me as the scenario and what I see in this video clip and the behavior that manifests itself in the animals that are in this video clip. My guess is you have multiple groups of bull uh, of elk, bull with cows on the left, bull with cows on the right, maybe some other floater elk around there. And I think what you were hearing is basically bulls all displaying, or yeah, again, you could say a display bugle if you wanted to, but they're out there just trying to sound as big and bad as they can to try to keep other bulls away and simultaneously try to get as many cows to come to them as they can. Okay, let's roll some more clip. Okay, so and here's another dead spot for a little bit. Bulls just stand out there looking, just ears up. Okay, you can hear that clearly, that other bull in the distance, that was the same classification of a bugle. And here, let me pause it. And when I say classification of a bugle, listen to the structure of it. And that's kind of what I focus on when I, you know, again, 
that out with the bull vocalizations series it's it's all listening to the classification of that of the vocalization or the the characteristics excuse me in this case you hear that low deep guttural uh low note the growl or the rasp the the just the aggressive the if you want to put aggressiveness you can you want to put you know growl or what however you want to just describe the lead in and the the bulk of that vocalization the bull is not he's not spending the bulk of his time emphasizing the high note of his bugle he's emphasizing the low guttural raspy growly aggressive quote unquote sounding portion of the bugle so clearly at this point it's not a seeking he's not curious he's not trying to elicit a response He's sending them at, this is information sending vocalizations. Did, I'm making a statement, okay? And the other bull off in the distance did the exact same thing. If you listen to the characteristics of the vocalization, you will hear, even though the bulls sound different, the characteristics of the emphasis of, of different parts of the vocalization are the same. Does that make sense? Or did I confuse the heck out of you? No, I think it makes sense. Um, back to something you said, if they just emphasize on the high note, what kind of bugle would you classify that, that as? That typically starts going back over a contact bugle. What what other people say is a locate bugle. All right. Now you're okay. now you're seeking and eliciting. You're trying to get information. Okay. Let's roll some more clip. So again, the bull's just standing out there listening to all this. He's just kind of looking around. There's several bulls in the background. Yeah, I was going to say, at this point, I think I can identify three different bulls. And they're all about a, you know, a couple, hundred, couple hundred to several hundred yards away from this location. Okay, let me pause it. For those of you that are listening on headphones, if you go back or you want to listen to the, the first, uh, first high-quality clip, it's right about two minutes, in, uh, one minute, 59 seconds into the, the audio. That bull in the distance, you heard it. It was just as clear as day. He hit a high note, but that's fine. But the emphasis of the the rest of the vocalization in his bugle was a that low note. There's no question. Dominant bugle. He's saying and portraying and sending the exact same thing, same information as the bull that's standing in front of the camera. <laughs> His head is up. His ears are, are forward. Now he just drops his head, takes a couple bites. This bull is totally relaxed. Even though he sounds so awesome, so gnarly, he is completely relaxed. He's not fired up in an aggressive way. He's just looking around. Okay, stop it right there for a second. 
Chris, as as an elk hunter, and guys are listening to this and trying to probably say, okay, what do I do as a hunter when I hear a bull doing the same thing in a fairly stationary, you know, in kind of holding in an area within, you know, 50, 60 yards back and forth, what kind of, of approach would you recommend that a hunter have to be able to call this bull in? Obviously, Dar and Jeff, when, when guys see this clip, they are, the bull's basically within shooting range most of the whole time that the bull's in this clip. Yeah, and, um, and where you just stop, where you just had me stop it? Oh yeah, he's wa- he just walked wide open, what I'm guessing, 30, 40 yards maybe? Yeah, and I mean, you see Jeff, you see the hunter, and you see um, the bull in the clip, um, you know, just right, just, I mean, Jeff's in the clip, the bull's in the clip, it's all right there. But from a strategy standpoint, for when guys hear this exact, you know, real dominant bugle, how do you approach that as you're, you know, coming, moving in, getting, trying to get closer? What are you, what's your approach? Well, and this, again, you, you know me and I've talked about it before. Um, I do personally lean heavy on cow vocalizations. I think uh, the way I, anyway, my understanding of cow vocalizations and, and what I do in a targeted standpoint, I would feed this bull assembly muse until I put him in my client's front right pocket. I mean, literally, th- I mean, this this bull is just dying to find a cow. I mean, he is that is the whole point of his whole operation right now. When he stepped out of the timber and he was by himself, that's number one. When again, this is why be understanding behavior and understanding the visual clues that animals, the elk will give you, pays such huge dividends on your success out in the field. Because I don't care if this bull had 30 cows off to the right. He just left them. He just walked out into this opening by himself. The vocalizations that he's giving clearly suggest he wants a cow. He is trying to attract cows. He's trying to keep other bulls at bay, but he is attracting cows. You've already told me the time period in, in September where this is, which we're typically, if we're talking about that 20th to 22nd, somewhere around there in September, we're talking about right around that fall equinox. Okay. So we know there should be cows coming, cycling into asterisk. Bulls at this period of September absolutely should be wanting cows as much as possible. He's out in the open by himself vocalizing in this manner. This bull wants a cow. Give him one. Just flat out. And I talk about a targeted strategy using, you know, lost muse and assembly muse and other vocalizations as well. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even I wouldn't even bother with a lost mule. I wouldn't even be worried about making vocal contact with this bull bull. I would just flat as soon as he stepped out the first time, I would have handed him a couple of assembly mews, maybe a frustrated wine in there just to really seal the deal. But I would have, nah, and just, I want you to come to me, and I would have put him in my, like I said, right front pocket, and I would have shot him at three steps if I wanted to kill him. <laughs> Seriously, you, and, and I, 
You would not have bugled at him. No, you don't. At this point, no. And that's the, you know, people think all the time because I don't talk a lot about challenging bulls with bugles that I don't do it. That's that's not that's not the case at all. I think there are a few strategic times where challenging a bull is absolutely the thing that you need to do, and sometimes it is all that you can do in order to make that that scenario happen. A few years ago, I had a, a limited draw license in Colorado. I had hunted for a solid 10 days, and I was, I mean, I was putting everything out there, and literally, the biggest bull I had a shot opportunity at, the only way that I got him into range and stopped him where I did was because I flat out ripped out my bugle, and I flat went after that bull, physically running after him and literally challenging him and just blowing a bugle like this, big, nasty, as gnarly as I could, until he finally had enough and stopped, whipped around, and came back out to try to either run me off or, or fight me. Unfortunately, I had just too many sticks in the way, and I couldn't make the shot. It wasn't a clear shot, and he turned around, went back, and took off with his cows, and it just didn't happen. But the only reason why I got in that situation is because I challenged that bull. There are times, yes, challenging a bull is by far the best thing to do. Unfortunately, I typically believe my philosophy is I will use that aggressive strategy as a last resort because where I hunt, public land, over-the-counter, most of the time with other hunters in the area, if I'm blowing a bugle like that, I'm either calling in other hunters or if it doesn't work and I bump that animal, well, I just sent him out. It may have taken me four days to figure out where the elk were, get in position, figure out what their pattern is. and everything. If it doesn't work it can be very disruptive to their behavior pattern on the mountain. You know, where they are, where they feed, why they come out, when they come out, what time they come out, etc. I don't like to bump them or be too disruptive right off the bat. I like to come in very passively, low-key, work them. If it doesn't work, I can back out, regroup, come back that evening, try again, don't, didn't work, I can back out. And if I don't change their behavior, a lot of times I can work them three, four, five different times and they have no clue that they're actually being worked by a hunter. Sometimes, sometimes, blowing a bugle at them can be extremely disruptive. And I think in this situation, people will get all, uh, you know, you get excited. Here's a bull screaming his head off. Oh my gosh, this is the sexy scenario that everybody talks about, that everybody wants. I'm going to pull my bugle out and I'm just, I'm going to just blow in his face. Well, the terrain and the openness of this doesn't lend itself to that because he can see quite a, a, a decent distance. All right. He clearly wants a cow. Well, if he clearly wants a cow, why do I want to try to fight him when he, I can give him what I know he wants, or I can throw something at him and see if he's interested. You know what I mean? It's, I can either take a gamble or I can make the safe bet. If I want to kill this bull, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to pick the low hanging fruit. I'm going to throw him a cow vocalization and, and put him in my hop in my pocket. If he locks up and doesn't respond. And if he gets himself in a diff different position where the, the vegetation and the train or whatever, allow me to get a little closer, then, okay, maybe I can go to a bugle if I need to, but I'm telling you, Experience has taught me. I can show it to you so many times on the Elk module. 
you give this ball, you give a bull like this an assembly mew, it's over. You are either going to kill this bull because you want to harvest this bull, and you're going to do it on the, you know, Primos talks about the top pin. You're going to shoot this bull at 10 yards or under, or you're going to let this bull pass, period. I mean, the, the, the end of discussion. This bull wants a cow. Give him one. <laughs> give the big boy what he give wants. Him what, yes, give him what he wants. Start there, and then if, if he doesn't respond, if he, if he's, because, okay, I know that the, the argument, some people are like, well, that bull, if it's that open, Chris, well, that bull could get out there and just stop and look, and then he could display, and, you know, that, yep, you're right. But if you, under, you know, if you get on the elk module and you start to understand what an assembly mew sound, sounds like and what it means, there's a difference in his behavior and how he's going to engage that vocalization. But yes, he could stand out there and stop and display or, or stand there and look and, and stare, and they do. Okay, that's fine. But if he wanders off, just let him wander off. Regroup, do it again. You have not changed an ounce of his behavior. However, you blow a bugle in this situation and he is not an aggressive bull. He's not a fighter. He literally could turn 180 degrees, go, oh crap, somebody, I'm out of here, and turn around, go right back to the cows or go right back in the timber and walk off trying to avoid a conflict he doesn't want to be in. Yeah, I mean, we've all been in situations with humans where you see someone that's strutting around and bowed up and, you know, talking big. But as soon as a, you know, someone that walks in the room that everybody knows is the toughest guy around, all of a sudden the big bowed up, you know, the, the guy that's all bowed up, a lot of times he's out the other door and off he goes. Uh, yeah. you know, so it, 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 I think it's that scenario right there, too. And I think we both agree in this case. I mean, again, folks, I, I obviously I have a self-serving interest on it. I want you to subscribe to the Elk module, but it's cheap. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's cheap. Maybe twenty, 20 bucks. Well, I mean, it's come twenty on. bucks for the three months or forty bucks for the full year. Come on. But anyway, when you watch this video, wait a minute. That's if you use the J Scott podcast. Uh, yes, yes. Promo. Code. Yes, yes. So, I mean, if you watch this stuff, oh. You you see it and you clearly you clearly understand it that Jay I think you'll agree with me here I'm just gonna if if a okay this bull is clearly in the three thirties three forties range would you, and I think you I think Dart said yeah. that I think you agree with that okay yeah he now even though his antler quality is that for me I look at the body of this bull and I'm guessing uh, well, I'm going to throw it out there. I think this bull has got to be at least, what, six years old? Yeah, I was going to say six to seven. Okay. You know, he's got a solid body. Um, he's just, you know, it, it, he may be a bull that he's always 335 and really never gets that much better. I mean, he, he's got a pretty decent-sized body. Yes, he's got a good chest. He's got some good, decent body mass. The reason why I'm focusing on that is because in the animal kingdom there are going to be two things when you when you're talking about a bull in conflict and and judging one another from a dominant status body si size matters sorry guys size matters all right so <laughs> antler size matters but body mass matters just as much if not more okay because that's what they're throwing around they're throwing around their weight now if a, if a bull has a, a unique antler characteristic you know, say he's got some big honking third time or, or, or second time that just jabs him, you know, his opponent in the neck easily. Okay, 
he's got a he's got a characteristic that gives him a slight advantage because he he can poke the heck out of his other uh, opponent. But if they're even if they had equal matched antlers, another bull walks in here that's bigger body size. I really am not convinced that this bull wants any sort of conflict. I bet you if you, if a if a three sixty three seventy bull walked out into this meadow and came up, you know if. Again, you watch this video, there's a little slight knob, there's a little ridge. If that bull, if a bigger bull walked over that ridge, I can oh, I would bet you strong money this bull would turn 180 and walk away. He'd be like, whoops, I'm out and I'm going back. Right. Yeah, and is this the case that if, you know, if this is Monday night football and you're sitting up in the booth and you're able to sit here and watch this scenario and let's say Dar pulls out his bugle and just rips one, would you be going, what is he doing? What is he doing? Where's the assembly muse? Uh, I, I would be doing that. I, now, this is, again, this is where me being the analytical one and the, and the guy that always wants to play and tinker and, and test, I would immediately be like, what the heck are you doing? All right, I want to see what happens. <laughs> I, I, I would. I would. I'm like, all right, let's see what happens here. And there's a couple times I do that on the in the strategies and actions section. You know, I I just finished up a, a video that's going to be up there right now or very soon um, where I do that. I, I'm clearly it's a situation where I'm calling cow. It, it, there's a bull. He's got two cows. Clearly, the the larger group is behind me. These cows have no clue I'm there. This bull kind of sees me set up. He wasn't quite sure, but he knows something's not right. But the cows are oblivious. And so he's trying to keep the cows sequestered away from me. He's not sure he wants to come in, but the cows don't want to be with him. The cows want to be with the rest of the group. And so I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to call the cows. In. Forget the bull. I'm going to call the cows. So I start hammering that targeted strategy and start calling the cows. And sure enough, they split. One goes left, one goes right. He's toast. He can't control both of those cows. So it's done. He's 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 got to he, he's it's over. That bull is at that point, that bull is callable. Well, in there, I'm like, well, you know, based on a variety of things, I decided I'm like, well, I'm gonna give him a bugle. His head was blocked, and I was I sent him a bugle just to take his temperature, see what he thought and what he was interested in. He didn't respond one way, he didn't, he just completely ignored it, and he was more focused on his cow. All right, fine. Scrap the bugle. Go back to the cow calls. Go back to the original strategy. I don't mind testing the waters a little bit. But yeah, if if Dar had grabbed his bugle here and ripped one, I would have. I'd been like, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, let's keep playing it. This bull's just gently walking, his head is a <laughs> great just great chuckle there. i mean he's just relaxed walking his head is in a neutral position ears are forward his eyes and ears are up now he's uh, his head is up he's seeking so wait a minute pause it okay i hear that and i think he's fired up he's mad yeah he's not is he no, and and see again. <sighs> but what? Okay, before you say something, twenty-five years worth of education on elk calling, and there's you know been a lot of people that have given their opinion. the The general opinion is when you hear a dominant bugle like this, 
you instantly say, oh, he's fired up and mad. Yeah. And he wants to fight. That's why That's why 90% of the, of the hunting public calls it a challenge bugle. Because they're like, oh, yeah, he wants to fight. He, he's challenging those other bulls. Okay, so my question for you is, in his behavior, what are you looking for that, oh, he is mad and he does want to fight? What is the difference in what you're seeing right now? You're gonna if you watch a bull and he starts getting aggressive and he wants to fight, you're gonna see his head in a different position. You're gonna see his ears in a different position. He's gonna hold his rack in a different position. He's gonna start swaying that head back and forth. He's gonna make exaggerated movements with that rack. He's, I mean, he's there. And the gallery again. This is why you and I appreciate you know the partnership we have on this because I think the video is so important to see this. The this not only this series is on the elk module in its own section. But the gallery that I have in there shows this, you know, I I can't tell you, how, I mean, I, I really, I don't know off the top of my head how many clips of the gallery I have in there that absolutely destroys the typical notion of a quote-unquote challenge bugle. Because it's not. I mean, you watch them in so many different scenarios that they're clearly not challenging another bull. Uh, the, the number one scenario where you'll hear this vocalization is not anywhere near another bull. It's literally when a bull goes up and scent checks a cow, He, want, he, he you've seen it, his antlers are up, his head is up, he's lick, 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 and he's going behind the cow to taste and scent check her. When he goes up and scent checks her, if she is not receptive, two things are going to happen. One, she's going to drop her head, she's going to chew, 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 and she's going to do submissive chewing, which indicates to that bull, I'm submissive. I'm listening to you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm a, I'm I, I recognize your dominance, but I am not receptive yet, so I'm going to move away from you. All right? So she's going to do submissive chewing. As soon as she does that and moves off, he is going to I will tell you right now, 99.95% of the time he is going to rip off with a level 2 dominant bugle. That's just it's just what they do because he's he he came in, he checked her she rebuffed him. He's right now, instantly, I need to establish my dominance. Wow. I'm the, I'm the man. You, you should want me. Okay. I'm the one that needs to breed you. I'm your guy. So yes, you rebuffed me now, but I'm right here, baby. Okay. So when people hear this type of vocalization, a lot of time, I know it's the sexy side of elk hunting and calling elk challenging them, having them come screaming in your face. It's awesome, okay? But most of the time when you hear a bull doing it, I will I will postulate, I will put out there that he's probably not challenging another bull. He's probably either doing this, trying to broadcast himself, give the appearance. The he's, Again, just like we talked about in the last one, and I know we've talked about in other ones, when we vocalize, we're painting a picture. We're putting something in their mind. They are expecting to see something based on what they hear. And what they hear is going to paint a very vivid image in their mind. They know what they should expect to see or encounter. So when they bugle like this, they are painting a very vivid picture. All right? So, yeah, most of the time, no. No, they're not, they're not challenging one another and they're not being aggressive. They're painting the picture that they're a dominant mature bull and they're just broadcasting that out there so that way the animals that cannot see them perceive 
them to be at least dominant, mature, aggressive, what have you. And this bull, his head, his head is neutral. His antlers are up. Now, when he bugles, he lays his antlers back. That's fine. But when he's walking, his antlers are in a new, neutral position. His ears are forward. He's seeking every now and then. He lifts his head up. He's looking and his eyes and his ears are in concert with one another. They're, they're looking and, and listening in the exact same direction. He's just, he's out, he's cruising the landscape, looking, seeking. Okay, let's keep listening. pause it there for real quick it actually jay when we talked about this first time you know if you heard this the snapping twigs if you're not watching this then you he kind of tears into a, a burned up little pine there that's all just dead sticks no actually I, I changed my mind jay originally i thought he just kind of ran into it and then just took his frustrations out of it no he walks up puts his head down and i mean he just purposely throws his antlers into that little poor little tree and just annihilates it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I remember watching it and he just, he just knocks the whole tree over, basically. Yeah, just, just shears all the branches off that one side. All right. But, but again, he's not necessarily challenging a bull. He's more dis displaying some dominant, right there in that clip, he is displaying some dominant characteristics or dom, you know, he, he's definitely by knocking that bush over or he just got tired of seeing that bush and wanted to knock it over. Um, well, I, I think, yeah, but I think, that's attractive to, to the cows too. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I mean, the first thing you said, no, he walks up and he just, he looks, I mean, you can see him look sideways and he's like, you're done. <laughs> and he just, he whips his head to the left and just takes all the branches off of it. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. It, it makes him feel powerful. It makes him feel more dominant. It, it, the sound of that, him destroying things makes that seem like goodness gracious you know there's somebody up there and he just destroyed it you know it, it adds to that persona that maybe we've got a mature bull up there maybe if i'm a cow hmm, maybe i i, I kind of like the sound of that maybe i go up and check him out and see what see what he's all about all right maybe a play yep <laughs> Now the bull's turned around and he, and he starts coming back. And, and this is the cool thing. And uh, here, let me push pause because we're going to want to hear some of this stuff. But, oh, if you watch this, you got you to watch this. I mean, I don't know how a random uh, – this bull gets to a point where he can literally walk straight or just randomly turn left. If he walks straight, he's going to walk between Jeff and Dar. I mean, this bull is on a dead – beeline towards Dar. I thought for sure they were going to be in a situation like you posted on, you know, with that bull just in your lap. But for some reason, this bull turns at the last second and, and goes left and then goes right back around him. But I thought for sure he was going to be in their laps. 
I, I'd like to make a point here about that exact thing because there's a lot of guys out there that that don't call a lot and they like to you know kind of spot and stalk and try and shadow those bulls and getting close. Um, if if you have the wind right and you're able to get close to a bull like this and you're not a caller, a lot of times if you hang tight. Or close the distance when you can, when it's when he's walking away. If you can keep shadowing him and just kind of stay in there with him, especially when a bull is kind of walking on a ridge back and forth doing dominant, you know, level two dominant bugles where he's just kind of, you know, he's he's throwing it out there. There's a good chance that he's gonna turn for whatever reason and start coming right back your way. And give you the shot. So I want to encourage guys to get get as close as you can and shadow these elk and and try and you know you never know when that bull's just all of a sudden going to turn around and walk right by you broadside and give you that shot. A- absolutely, and that's another th- a great point. Um, you know, there's some extremely extremely successful hunters that do very, very little calling. They just shadow them and, and spot and stalk them, or they just listen to them and they just they just charge in there. Uh, Dan Evans comes to mind. I mean, that guy has killed some just incredible, oh my gosh, if anybody, go to, you know, check out Dan Evans of Trophy Taker and, and look at his trophy room. Goodness gracious, it'll make you, dis- it'll make you sick on the, the number and size of the bulls he's killed. And I think Dan, 90% of those bulls, he, he's just snuck in on and does very little calling. So calling is a tool. Even though I'm passionate about vocalizations and communication and behavior, and I love to call, I will be, you know, I'll be the first to say calling is just a tool to use to help you put that animal on the ground. And in this case, you didn't need to do a lot of calling, if any, because this bull is right there. And what you what you touched on right there is is huge. Now, like I said in the beginning. We're letting the dead spots in here roll in real time. Now, I'm sitting here looking at my monitor, and I've got the video editor up, and so I can actually see the audio, uh, the a graphical display of the audio. And if you look at his bugles, they are really evenly spaced in time, you know, like maybe a minute apart, just boink, 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 boink. I mean, he's very predictable on his timing of his bugles. The thing is, though, is the dead space in here really isn't that long. I mean, while we're sitting here on a podcast, it might seem like forever. But this whole scenario unfolds in about 7 minutes, 20 seconds. And 7 minutes and 20 seconds, this bull goes from completely off screen and, and or completely in the timber and he pops out to literally walking by the shooter within 20 to 30 yards two or three times, or tw- uh, twice, once co- going and once coming back, you know, that's a very short amount of time. Patience is key. I show in the gallery and in the, especially, especially in the strategies and actions section where it's all video-based. Strat- okay, the, for, for the people that want a little bit more detail on that, the gallery section in my, my elk module is elk, raw elk behavior with no interference from me or anybody else calling or doing it. It's just watching them naturally interact with one another on their own, by themselves, without any outside influence. The strategies and actions section is me going out in the field and say, okay, 
here's the situation, here's where I am, here's why I'm where I'm at, this is what I want to accomplish, I think the elk are up here, I'm going to use this strategy, let's go and let's see if it happens. And I go in there and we call the elk in and, you know, whatever, or whatever happens, and you get to see it unfold. In, those, in all those cases, 99% of the time, I will let them run full-on real-time, and I know that there's one that's an hour-long clip, and people are like, goodness gracious, that's the most boring. Yeah, it's a, it, in some cases, it's a boring one hour. But the beautiful part about that is, is you get to see, I started my calling in the beginning, and I don't move. The bull is there, the elk are there, and an hour later, that bull standing 10 steps in front of me. Have patience to let the setup unfold. If you know what you're saying, why you're saying it, you get a, a fundamental understanding of behavior, body language, and that type of stuff, you will have a better ability to let the setup work. Don't just automatically go, oh, it's not going to happen, and get up and move and move and move. I know there are some very, very successful elk hunters that are aggressive. And yes, there are times where you need to be aggressive. However, I think people can sometimes get themselves into trouble by being a little bit too aggressive too soon and not letting a scenario play out in the time that the elk want to play it out. Remember, they have nowhere to be. They're already there. They, they don't have kids to pick up from soccer practice. They don't have to work. They don't have work to get you know back to. They don't have to get back to lunch or anything. They've got. No, they are there. They're where they need to be. So they've got all the time in the world. If you're watching their body language, you're watching their behavior. You can sit there and judge and say, "No, I've got time. This bull is relaxed. He's not going anywhere. As long as the wind is not in this situation, as long as the wind is not swirling, let it play out. Let it play out." Want to hit play? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get out. <laughs> no, I like it. The branches you just heard is him walking under a tree, just incidental contact with his antlers. At this point, this bull's got to be no more than, what, 15 yards maybe? Yep. Wide open. All right, now I, I just paused it, Jay. Um, we were talking before about this, and, I, and I, let me let me go ahead and just give people a little heads up. I want you know I want to let people listen to this and listen closely to this next section. Okay, the bull went up, turned around, came back, and just walked by the hunter like 15 yards wide open, and now the bull is headed back in the direction from where he came. All right. Now, off in the distance, up against the tree line, there's another elk standing there. It looks like a cow, but I'll be honest, with the way the sun glare is and the other vegetation stuff, it could be a spike. Don't know. My guess, based on his behavior, I'm going to bet it's probably a cow. All right, so the bull is turned now, and he's walking back towards the timber. He's walking back in the direction where he came from. But from here on out, I want you to listen very carefully, and then we're going to talk about something here in a second. Sound fair enough? Yep. And the funny thing is, is I mean, he literally heads back to almost the exact spot he came out in. I mean, like literally the same tree he walked by.
right, I'm going to pause it right there. I said for folks to listen carefully. How many people picked up on the fact that that was a different bull? Obviously, you can't show hands. I mean, it's a podcast. But, <laughs> I mean, that, that if you're paying attention and you're listening to the characteristics of the vocalizations being made, yes, the structure of that, vocal, that vocalization right there was similar to the other one. But it was a completely different vocal signature. He didn't have the depth that the other one did. He didn't have the level of growl the other one did he hit a little bit higher of a high note and held it maybe a little bit longer than the other one did the structure's the same he emphasized that that growl in the beginning so in my book that's still the same classification of a vocalization but it's a different vocal signature and again when we when we talk back what, what we were talking about in the beginning you know people hear something and then you just go, oh, well, that must be such and such. Well, it's different than I heard over here. Well, okay, it's different. Are the characteristics of the structure of the vocalization different or the same? If they are the same, the structure and the characteristics of the, the, the build of that vocalization are the same, and it's just a different vocal signature, it doesn't matter if it sounds different. It still means the same thing, all right? Everybody has a different voice. My voice is different than Jay's. Jay's is different than, you know, who knows? I mean, there's some people that have a naturally low voice. Some people have a naturally high voice. Some people are really aggressive with their voice. It, it, vocal signatures can be different. It is the structure of the vocalization that is the critical portion that is important when you are trying to communicate. So hopefully people picked up on that. And, and then the other thing, too, is you hear... The, the snap crack bite, you know, the, the, the hoof beats and the, the gravel. This second bull came up over the ridge and followed essentially the path that the bull had previously taken. The other, the, the original bull had previously taken. And I think Dar was, I think he saw Dar move. I think he either saw, and the way the sun is glaring off the, the lens of this, I guarantee that the, the lens of that camera is glaring. I think the bull saw something he wasn't quite sure of, so that's why he just spooked a little bit. And he starts to trot, and because he starts to trot and he's spooked a little bit, he's going to go to where he feels safest, which is where? Literally literally right where the bull, where the original bull just went. So you, you want me to just hit play and run to the end, and then we can continue? Or? Yeah. All right. So you hear him just trot. And at this point, the first and this second bull is a nice bull. What do you think? He's maybe three ten bull. Yeah, I mean, I just not a sh not a shooter for this hunt, but just you know, I, I don't really dig into it too much other than it's not a shooter, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, three hundred type. Yeah. Bull. So I mean, he's a nice bull, but he's not as big as the previous bull. That I guess that's my point. And so as this bull starts trotting, and the bull, this new bull is trotting because he's a little spooked trotting towards the elk that he can see well he's not going to trot towards the other big bull he sees this cow or what we believe is a cow and so this smaller bull starts trotting to this other cow well that the original bull that is where now and unfortunately the clip ends but that's where you see a body position change in that first original bull all of a sudden he's like who the heck and he sees this new bull trotting towards that cow 
and all of a sudden you see his shoulders come up, his head gets stiff, his antlers are, you know, kind of, now he, and he, all of a sudden the first bull starts to parallel this new bull and he's just bluffing, he's just blocking him. He's like, no, 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 don't you get too close. Yeah, but notice that he did not turn and charge at him. Oh. I think that's the thing that kind of solidifies your uh, hypothesis, if you will, or your or sure, your sure. theory is that, you know, if he was truly um, super, you know, like I want to, you know, I'm challenging any 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 oncomer, and then an oncomer comes, he would just. You know, if, if the theory, yeah, that he would have laid him out. Instead, he's kind of paralleling and going back where he came from, like, uh, oh, I'm going to go make sure he doesn't get with my cows. But I also, I didn't see any behavior where he's like turning and like, I'm going to come over there and pummel you. No, nope. he just, he basically, he was trying to scramble and put himself in between him and probably, and this is just a guess, probably where there are probably other cows down in there. He just basically ran interference. He's like, no crap, and he's just trying to cut him off. But you're absolutely right. If that bull had been super fired up and aggressive, he easily could have whipped around, thrown his antlers down, and charged. And literally, I bet you he would have he would have at least bluffed that bull away and 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 deflected him. But he didn't. He just got up parallel to him, paralleled him, kind of raised his shoulders, dropped his head and antlers a little bit, and then just basically paralleled him and just intercepted him and just ran interference. This is where, yeah. and this is where I'm like, oh, don't, don't hit stop. <laughs> Just keep their foot, keep the footage rolling. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, and as always, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insight and your commentary. I uh, want to give you a chance to let the listener know where they can find you. Uh, Chris, so could you please do that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, it's just www.row huntingresources.com. It's R-O-E, huntingresources.com. Again, we have an elk module in there you can subscribe to. And if you use the J. Scott podcast, all one word, J. Scott podcast, when you check out, there's a little spot for a coupon code. You enter that, it'll take 20% off. So it ends up literally, it's being 20 bucks for three months or $40 for the full year. And we've got more than 20 hours worth of, of this. I mean, just of, of good quality video where you can see the behavior, you can see the interactions, the discussions about it, and dive into this stuff. And, and again, I know it's not for everybody, but if you want a little bit of a deeper understanding and, and, and you really want to dive into some of this stuff, we provide an alternative for, you know, resource where you can go and do that. So, and then of course we got our Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. It's all the same row hunting resources. So awesome. Yeah. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, and you know, we're, we're here kind of mid part of July and, um, you know, elk season's right around the corner. Don't say that. Say it's early July. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I've got more time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's coming fast and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting excited every day, getting more excited and getting more fired up as I know a lot of the listeners are. I know you are Chris. So, um, until our next real elk sounds, uh, clip, until the next uh, part of the Real Elk Sound series, uh, I just want to wish you the best. I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, God bless you, and uh, thanks for all that you do, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you as well, and be safe, and look forward to talking to you next time. Okay, buddy. Sounds good.